At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I want to pick back up today with the teaching under the theme, the anointing, the anointing for two Sundays, the third and fourth Sunday in December, we looked at the incarnation of Jesus Christ because it was uh, the very heart of the season of Advent. But I want to get back now to this theme on the anointing because God is speaking to us in a very particular and a very special way. I want you to stand on your feet with me as we read the word of God. I want to bring your attention back to the two primary biblical texts that frames the revelation that God is speaking into our lives. Revelation chapter 4, reading verse 5. Revelation chapter 4, reading verse 5. The word of God reads like this. And from the throne preceded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now I want you to turn in the Old Testament records to the book of Isaiah chapter 11, and we, still, we shall start reading with verse 1, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Are you there? The word of God reads like this. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Everyone say one. And the spirit of wisdom, two. And understanding, three. The spirit of counsel, four. And might, five. The spirit of knowledge, six. And of the fear of the Lord, seven. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> I want to open this teaching today by reminding us of how important it is for us to have the right biblical and theological understanding of God. As Christians, it's vitally important that we are clear on the God question of who God is. There are five major religions in the world, Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam. 
all five of these major religions in the world as they are classified, all five of them declare that they believe in God. All five of these categories of religion, all of them say that they believe in one God. So that is to say that all of them would profess that they are monotheistic in their faith system. So I declare unapologetically that I am a Christian. When I say I'm a Christian, what makes me a Christian is not the fact that I say I believe in God. What makes me a Christian is not the fact that I say I believe in one God, that I am monotheistic because all of the other faith expressions that I just mentioned, the same would be true for all of them. What makes me a Christian is one thing. And that is that I believe in the particularity of God. That I believe that God has made himself known particularly through one person and one person alone and that being Jesus Christ. So I'm not Jewish in my faith, although, although I am a Judeo-Christian, I'm not Jewish in my faith. I'm not Hindu in my faith. I am not Buddhist in my faith. And I am not of the nation of Islam. I am a Christian. And it is not enough for you and I as Christian people just to say, I believe in Jesus. If you say you believe in Jesus, then what do you mean when you say you believe in Jesus? What is it about him that you believe? And this is where too many of us as church people have missed it. Because for many of you, other than saying you believe in Jesus, there ain't much more you say about him. And what God is doing today is he is moving us to another place in him in terms of revelation and spiritual insight. We have been guilty of embracing God as father, embracing God as son, but failing to embrace God as Holy Spirit. And because we have failed to do so, then we have not fully embraced God. And God wants us to fully embrace him because we serve the triune God who has made himself known to us in three distinct personalities while yet being one God. God has made himself known to us as Father, he's made himself known to us as Son, and he's made himself known to us as Holy Spirit. Listen carefully, he's one God, 
but he's made himself known to us through three distinct personalities. We have no problem embracing God in some respects because as human beings, our propensity is to look at God in anthropomorphic features. So we don't have no problem embracing God as Father because we know what it means to have an earthly father. We have no difficulty embracing God as son because we know what it means to have children of our own. But when it comes to embracing God as spirit, we struggle. And we struggle because when you hear the word spirit, you think of that which is mysterious. But Rudolf Altman, who was a major theologian, says that when you talk about God in any regard, you're talking about that which is mysterious. If I talk about God as Father, if I talk about him as Son, if I talk about him as Holy Spirit, I cannot talk about God without dealing with that which is mysterious. Nobody discovers God. Whatever we know about God, God has had to reveal it to us. And so it is vitally important for us to understand God in every dimension of who he is. And he wants us to embrace him in every regard of who he is. And at this particular time in history, and on this other side of the pandemic, individually and collectively as a church, we cannot operate in the calling that God has upon our lives if we do not embrace him as Holy Spirit, and if we do not understand how the Holy Spirit purposes to operate in our lives. Stay with me. Let me give it to you from a biblical standpoint. I have here before me the Bible, the Holy Writ. You have it in your possession in some form or another. So if I start with Genesis and go from the book of Genesis to Malachi, that's the Old Testament records, that time frame from Genesis to Malachi represents a spiritual dispensation. Everyone just holler dispensation. It represents a spiritual dispensation and during that spiritual dispensation, we see God, we see God, we understand God primarily as Father. It doesn't mean that the Son ain't present, and it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not present, but we understand God primarily as Father. Genesis to Malachi. When you come to the book of Matthew, now you're talking about the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
those four gospels speak to us about the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So now we're talking about God as son. God as son. It represents another dispensation. For the Bible says that Jesus came into the world in the fullness of time. In the first dispensation, the first dispensation is represented by law, the Ten Commandments. In the second dispensation, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but that the law might be fulfilled. Jesus Christ is crucified on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He's buried in another man's tomb, and on Sunday morning, he gets up from the grave with all power in his hands. Before he was crucified, as he stood on the threshold of going to Calvary, Jesus, the Son of God, says to his disciples, he says to them, I must go because if I don't go, the Comforter cannot come. But if I go, I will not leave you like orphans. I will send the Paracletos. I will send the Comforter. I will send the one who will come and stand by your side. I will send to you the Spirit of Truth. And he will abide in you, live in you, always and forever. Now after he was crucified and resurrected, it's the same Jesus as the resurrected Christ who then says to the disciples, don't go nowhere and don't do nothing until you get the power. He's the same Christ who gave them the great commission to disciple all nations. He's the same Christ who says to them in the book of Acts, go tarry in Jerusalem and then after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Jesus says, don't go nowhere, don't do nothing till you get to power. Wait in Jerusalem after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you shall receive power. And the purpose is that you're going to be my witness. The church of the living God was birthed on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit of God came in like a mighty rushing wind, set upon them like cloven tongues of fire. Miracle signs and wonders broke out. Pentecost and going forward, which includes the book of Acts in its entirety, all of the epistles primarily written by Paul and the book of Revelation and all the way up to this morning. Amen. 
and however long the future will be until Jesus comes. It now represents a third spiritual dispensation. You and I are living in the dispensation of grace. The first dispensation was represented by law. The dispensation you and I live, live in is represented by grace. The covenant of the first dispensation was the blood of an unblemished lamb sprinkled on the mercy seat behind the veil in the tabernacle every year on the day of atonement. The covenant that you and I are under that we just got through celebrating when we took Holy Communion is a covenant in blood but not the blood of an unblemished lamb but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who became our Passover lamb and no other sacrifice has to be made his death burial and resurrection was sufficient once always and forever this dispensation is grace the first dispensation we see God primarily as father the second dispensation we see God primarily as son but in the dispensation that you and I live in we see God primarily as Holy Spirit therefore if we do not understand who the Holy Spirit is and if we do not embrace God as Holy Spirit beloved we're going to miss it what are we going to miss pastor you're going to miss the visitation of God and so God is saying to us in his word and through the Holy Ghost God says I need you to embrace me fully for who I am in every expression of who I am. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And thanks be unto God that we have our own sense of Pentecost now. Thanks be unto God that it is a new day that God is pouring out his spirit afresh and we are saying yes to his will and yes to his way and because of that our lives are now moving in a new spiritual trajectory so that we declare our families are going to be spiritually strong
our children, our sons and daughters will be saved. No more generational curses, but generational blessings. I will walk and live in the fullness of my salvation. I will live with joy. I will live with peace. I will live with power. I will walk in the fullness of my salvation. So I will be who God saved and called me to be. I will have what God purposes for me to have. I will do what God has ordained for me to do. I will live with fresh anointing upon my life. I will worship God in the beauty of holiness. I will change every environment that I show up in. I will be a world changer for God. The devil will no longer yank my chain. I am free. I will remain free. I tell the devil and every demon to go to hell. I know who I am. I know what I got. I choose to walk in light. I'm not going to walk in darkness. The devil will no longer deceive me. He will no longer discourage me. He will no longer defeat me because I know the power that is available to me. I know how to call the name of Jesus and I'll call it in a heartbeat. Devil, if you even act like you coming towards me. Jesus, 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 Jesus. There are seven, everyone shout seven. seven. There are seven manifestations, functions, operations of the Spirit. Seven expressions of the Holy Ghost. The word seven you know means completion. The first one is the focus today. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's number one. And that's where we're putting our weight today. Right there. We ain't going no farther. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's number one. Now wisdom is two. Understanding is three. Counsel 
is four, might is five, knowledge is six, the fear of the Lord is seven. Beloved, if you don't have number one, you will never experience the other six. All other six manifestations, functions, operations of the Holy Ghost will only be realized in your life if you have the first one. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. When you say anointing, we're not talking about a fuzzy feeling. The anointing is the presence of God and the power of God resident in the life of every believer. It is not for just a few special people. God desires for every believer who will believe and make a choice to walk in the fullness of his spirit to experience the release of God in their life where all seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit will be revealed and released in your life. So Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Look at the person beside you and say, how hungry and how thirsty are you? God is not going to force himself on you. If you don't want him, God says it's all right with me. Because I don't need you to be God. I'm God without you. I reserve this blessing only. 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 For those who want me. You don't get it because somebody in your family got it. It ain't in the bloodline. It ain't in the DNA. Just because, and I ain't playing the dozens, just because your mama and your daddy are saved, 
and the anointing is upon them doesn't mean that the son and the daughter will have it. Because your mother and your father can't pass this on. You got to know him for yourself. My mama told me about my first birth. She told me I was born March the 18th, 1955. What she didn't tell me about was my second birth. I told her about my second birth. I told her, Mama, I've come to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm going to make a personal plead right here. I'm pleading with every parent to do the best you can to make sure that your child, your children are saved. Now what you do with that statement is up to you. But if you are okay that your son, your daughter ain't in church, they don't have a personal relationship with God and if you tell me pastor, my son, my daughter know God and they ain't in no church they don't don the door of the church, they don't come to worship they don't show up at Bible study they ain't serving God, what you mean? They know God you better quit playing that game because I pray that you purpose and want to see them not only in time but you want to see them later in eternity and heaven will not be their home if they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior I hope to God you ain't comfortable with your child going to hell that same would hold true for your siblings, your sisters, your brothers. The same holds true for other family members. The same holds true for friends, co-workers. If you're on your way to heaven, you all not want to go by yourself. The anointing was upon him. And God wants every believer to have it all seven expressions of the Holy Spirit but you got to hunger for it you got to thirst for it you in Isaiah turn over to Isaiah chapter 61 Isaiah chapter 61 and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 this prophetic word is the word that Jesus uttered when he started his earthly ministry, the Bible says in the Gospel of Luke that he went to the synagogue. Jesus asked them to give him the book of Isaiah or to give him the book. He turns to Isaiah. He reads this passage in Isaiah that I'm getting ready to read in your hearing. 
which Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would declare before Jesus came. Jesus read it in the synagogue and after Jesus read it, he said to everybody who was present, today is this prophecy fulfilled in your midst. Now listen to what it says, Isaiah 61 verse 1. The spirit, of the, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Jesus told them, this is who I am. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is what I've come to do. This is why I do it. And he told them this is how I do it. So that Jesus says I live, I operate in the anointing of God, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we call ourselves Christians, do we not? And to be Christian means to be what? Christ-like. Come on, say it loud. Christ-like. Well, now, if I'm like Christ, if I'm like Christ, and the anointing was upon him, and he operated in the power of the Spirit, if I'm a Christian and I'm Christ-like, that means I ought to operate and live in the same power that he operated and lived in. If I'm Christ-like, the same anointing that was on Jesus ought to be on me. So God is trying to teach us, beloved, how to make the throne room our place of habitation. He's trying to teach us how to live in the secret place. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. The question is where do you live? The throne room, the secret place, is not a place you visit. It's the place where you live. I don't wait and pray when I got trouble. I don't pray spasmodically. I don't pray every now and then. I pray every day. I start the morning with prayer. 
I pray throughout the day. I pray when the day closes. My prayer life is so disciplined that I get away and I get still. I don't want to be bothered because I got to sit there a little while. Because it ain't just what I'm going to say to God, it's what God's going to say to me. I don't go to God in prayer just to get something from him. I go to God in prayer because prayer is a form of my worship. So I go to God in prayer often just to tell him how much I love him. How much I adore him. I dwell, I live, I make the secret place my place of habitation. The throne room is where I live. I don't visit. I live there. For those of you who understand how important prayer is, for those of you who have a prayer room slash war room, you understand that if you spend serious time in that room in committed and consecrated communion with God, you come out of it looking different, smell different, and you act different. Because for people who take serious, holy communion with God, prayer with God, when you come out of the prayer room, the war room, God places a spiritual mantle upon your life. The Holy Ghost covers you. The oil of the Spirit has an aroma. So when you move about and other people look at you, they say, I don't know, you strange. The next time somebody calls you strange, you tell them, thank you for the compliment. I know I'm strange. It's because of what's on me and because of who lives in me. Would you like to know the fragrance that I'm wearing and how to get it. Cause Macy's and Von Ma and Bloomingdale's and Neiman Marcus and Saks, they don't carry it. And you ain't got enough money to buy it. It has to be bestowed. makes a difference. 
makes a difference. Turn to, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. It's very clear here that God expects us to be spiritually fruitful. You have not been saved to wear Christianity like a tag. No, you, you've been saved to live this thing. Jesus says, if you don't bear fruit, the Father cuts you off and throws you away. And if you are bearing fruit, he's going to cut you sometimes. He will prune you because he's got to get the twigs off of you. Because twigs get in the way of you bearing fruit. There's some things I got to cut out of your life. Some people got to go because they twiggy. Some things got to go because it's twiggy. It's messed up your focus. And since you don't know how to get rid of it, and since you don't know how to tell him to go, and since you don't know how to tell her it's over, God says, I know how to cut the relationship off. Since you don't have the discipline to quit chasing things, then God says, I'll remove things out of your life because it's too twiggy. And I've saved you to be fruitful because I want you to live with the seven manifestations of the Holy Ghost. So then Jesus says in a very pointed way in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And that idea of abiding means that one has an engagement with God. You abide with him. You are engaged with him. Uh, Paul, when he writes about his life to the church at Galatia, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you hear that? He's engaged with Jesus. When he writes to the church at Rome, Paul says, it is the spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If I asked you, are you saved today? I got a feeling everybody's gonna raise their hand. But if I asked you how you know, I got a feeling I'm gonna see a lot of question marks. And the only way you know you're saved the only way, the only way is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with your spirit that you belong to God. Listen to Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Peter says, God has given us great and precious promises. God has given us great and precious promises, Peter said, so that we might take on the divine nature of Christ. Have you ever considered that the divine nature of Christ is in you? Have you ever contemplated that God says, I got promises for you? Not a house, not a car, not clothes, not money. I got a promise for you. And the promise is that I'm going to enable you to take on the nature and the character of Christ. So in Galatians, Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Go back to the book of Psalm, Psalm 92. It's right across from 91. <laughs> Wasn't that deep? Psalm 92, verse 10, part B of verse 10. I have been anointed with fresh oil. I've been anointed with fresh oil. What the psalmist is saying is that the anointing is on me so heavy that it's dripping. God doesn't have a philosophy of a little dab would do you. He's, he's going to pour the anointing until it's dripping. We had great service last night, or last evening. The anointing was heavy. But I don't want yesterday's anointing. Tyler, I want fresh anointing. If the Lord wakes me up tomorrow, I'm going to want tomorrow's anointing. And it ain't going to be just a drip drop. It's, it's just dripping. It's flowing. The Bible says it'll start at the head. Run down the beard. Down the chest. Down to the very skirts of the garment. It was a description of the high priest. So I take it as a pastor as a man of God, as your shepherd, that God says, Walter, I need you to walk completely in the anointing that I purpose for your life. Because I need the congregation to see, to smell, to observe the anointing on you so that they will walk in the anointing that I'm calling on them. But they will not walk in it, Walter, if they don't see you walking in it. And I want you to walk in it so convincingly, and I want the anointing to drip on you so wonderfully that you will stand before them and begin to decree it and declare it over their life. 
So I'm speaking into this house that every man and every woman that is saved and every man and every woman that loves God and every man and every woman that ain't playing with it and every man and every woman that desires God, I'm declaring and I'm decreeing that God is going to pour out fresh oil in your life and it's going to run in your life until it will be dripping. Somebody right now ought to start saying, Yes Lord. yes, Lord. I'm almost through. I'm almost through. The reason God's going to do it, and I need to say that again because I need you to listen to me. The reason God is going to do it, meaning I'm not up here wasting your time. I'm not up here talking just to be heard. I'm telling you he's going to do it. He's going to do it. I'm not scared to speak prophetically. He's going to do it. He's going to do it. Why do you speak with such certainty, Pastor? Because other things I've said that he told me to say, I've seen it come to pass. And his word doesn't go out and return void. It accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent out. He's going to do it. Miracles, signs, and wonders are going to show up in your life in this year. Because the devil, and I'm not going to tell you that because we ain't friends, the devil has set up models of darkness for his diabolical kingdom all over the city, all over the nation, all over the world. What God is doing is he's pulling down the kingdom of darkness He's destroying these diabolical models of the demonic and then he's placing people strategically all over the city, all over the church, all over the nation, in every state and around the world. God says, I'm going to set up the kingdom of God and I'm going to replace darkness with light so that you will become God's spiritual reference point. People are saying, I want to know God. I want to know who he is. I want to meet Jesus. I need somebody to direct me to him. And God says, I'm going to put you in the right place at the right time with the right people under the right situation so they ain't got to search no more because I'm bringing the kingdom to them because you will represent me in the earth realm because you're going to be full of the Holy Ghost and the anointing is going to be dripping all over your life. It's going to be unmistakable. 
I'm about, I'm about through. In the book of Haggai, in the book of Haggai, it says the latter house will be greater than the former house. I need to break it down. The latter house will be greater than the former house. Now, the former house was the house Solomon built. They got tore down. When they rebuilt the temple during the time of Haggai and Zechariah, when the people saw the foundation being laid, they started crying. They started weeping because they could tell according to the size of the foundation that the new temple, the building, would be smaller in its physical construction than the former house. But Haggai said that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former house. God says don't mistake the size of a building with my glory. Lord help me to finish this. Where is Canaan Christian Church It used to be on Dixie Highway. But we ain't there no more. So now we're in this building. But if we used to be on Dixie Highway and we ain't there no more and we're in this building, that means the building on Dixie Highway was not the church. Which also means this building ain't the church. And the glory, and the glory, and the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former house because the glory ain't in the bricks the glory ain't in the pew the glory ain't in this piano the glory is in you the glory is in me hallelujah the glory is increasing God help me real quick. Um, in Exodus 33, the story, Moses on the mountain getting the, the law, the Ten Commandments. He's been up there a while. Israel's in the valley. They become impatient. They take gold, start making an idol. They make a calf. God says to Moses, you better get down from here because I'm going to have to destroy them because they've already turned their backs on me. Moses intercedes for Israel, says, God, don't, don't destroy them. God says, okay, he said, but I tell you what, Moses, you all go on to Canaan, but I'm not going with you. Moses says to God, in the words of Aretha Franklin, ain't no way. No. Moses says to God, 
if you don't go, we ain't moving. And Moses says to God, listen, he says, God, what has distinguished us as your people has been the anointing that you have upon us. And if you ain't there, nobody will know who we really are. So Moses says to God, show me your glory. The Bible says when Moses came down from Mount Sinai that the glory of the Lord was on him so heavy that he had to take a veil because the people were afraid to look at him in the face. He had to take a veil. But Paul explains to us in Corinthians, he had the veil not only because the people couldn't handle looking at him face to face, but he had a veil, Moses had a veil, because the glory that was on him was vanishing. But Paul says that if, if the law, Paul says if the law that brought death could reveal glory, how much more can grace that gives us life reveal glory? And Paul says the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there's liberty. So Paul says it is though we look in the mirror and we see the grace of God and we're going from grace to grace and from glory to glory which means brothers and sisters the glory that God has in your life it ain't diminishing but it is increasing. The seven spirits of the Holy Ghost are increasing. Let me say this, I gotta I, I got quit. I gotta stop. Thank you for giving me just a little time. I, I'm trying to teach what the Holy Ghost gave me because God is doing something so, so special. Look, turn, turn to Acts chapter two and, and I'm out of here. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 when the day of Pentecost had fully come stop right there I'm going to explain this and I'm through when the day of Pentecost had fully come come on repeat that after me when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Come on, say it with me again. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now say it without me. What does the Bible mean when it says when the day of Pentecost had fully come? It's talking about Kairos. Everyone shout Kairos. Kairos. I have on my wrist a watch. And this is Kronos. Time. Kronos is time like by the hour. By the day. Kronos. Kairos is time too, but it ain't by the hour. It ain't by the day. 
Kairos is a moment in time. When, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, it, it was a chirotic moment. When, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when, when, when Jesus had been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when the disciples were all gathered in the upper room praying and on one accord, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when people from various other cities and parts of the country and the world had made their way to Jerusalem for the feast when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when the disciples' faith had been nurtured enough for them to be receptive of the Holy Ghost, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, when, when their short-sightedness had been broken down and their hearts would be receptive to the inspiration and the revelation of the Holy Ghost when the day of Pentecost had fully come. It was a chirotic moment when God says all things are ready now for me to show you what you'd never see if I didn't reveal it. And what God is saying to us, beloved, that this is a chirotic moment. This is a time of kairos, not chronos, but kairos. It is a moment in history when God says that I will give you a visitation of the Spirit of God in a way that you haven't seen before because now it has fully come. Now that the pandemic has happened, now that the world been brought to her knees, now that America has been shown how arrogant she is now that the sheet has been pulled off of wicked churches now that corrupt preachers are starting to understand that I'm God and I ain't playing and now that people understand their limitations and now that people are recognizing that they need a God in their life and now that there are some people who are going to be receptive to my word and who are going to invite my Holy Ghost into their lives and now now that I have prepared the world to reach, to be redeemed and to be reconciled and the church can carry the gospel out in ways that she never thought. It is a chirotic moment and God says that now that it has fully come, God says now I'm going to do something with you that you never thought could be done and if you take that from the church and break it down to your own particular life I came to tell somebody you're talking about I pray but God ain't heard my prayer the devil is a lie God heard your prayer but he's the God he doesn't come too early and he don't come too late he comes right on time and the reason why your prayer hasn't come into fruition is not because God ain't gonna answer the prayer but you were not ready for what God purposed to give you so God says I can't give it right now because if I give it to you you're gonna mess it up if I try to show you, you're going to miss it. So God says, I've got to wait until the right time. It's got to be the time of Kairos. It's got to be the time when I get to your heart, when I get to your mind, when I get to your spirit. It's the time when I get you off your high horse. It's going to be the time when I get you to surrender. It's going to be the time when you fully submit to me. It's going to be the time when you say, God, I give in and whatever you say, 
say I'm going to do it the way you said do it God says I got to let something die in you and I got to let it get good and dead so that when I bring life out of it you're going to have to say if it had not been that the Lord was on my side it would not have happened you're going to have to give me the glory Dr. Carolyn Showell, Dr. Carolyn Showell says that if there's going to be renewal and reset, she says, then there's going to have to be a deprogramming and a detoxification where a new pedagogy that will give birth to transformative teaching so that we can be delivered from concretized ideologies and theologies and practices that caused us not to hear the Holy Spirit. As quiet as it's kept, there's been some foolishness that we've been doing in churches for years that has not helped us in our spiritual formation. There's been some teaching that's led us astray. I'm not talking about messing with the foundation. The Bible says that the foundation of the righteous will be removed, how shall they stand? I'm talking about the, the mess that we built on top of the foundation. It has to be removed so we can hear the Holy Ghost and we can listen to the Spirit and be who the Spirit is calling us to be so we can operate with power. Because if we just go on and confess, we've been coming to church, but we've been spiritually impotent. No power. The Bible says they have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. But oh, <laughs> you stay right over there. <laughs> but oh, I bless God that it's a new day and the Holy Ghost is wrapping his arms all around us so church can I tell you who you are you are the salt of the earth you are the light of the world you are holy you have the righteousness of Christ on you you are a royal priesthood so every believer who loves God, who wants God, would you join in with me now and just start shouting and praising God and shout, release. Come on, shout, release. Come on, praise him and shout, release. I need some prayer warriors. Now, Jarrell, you can get on it now. Come on, I need some prayer warriors. 
shout release. And while you shout and release, come on, give him some glory. Give him a wave offering. Open up your mouth and praise him. I need somebody to say yes, Lord. Yes to your will. Yes to your way. I need somebody to say, fill me, Holy Ghost. Fill me, Lord. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your power. Come on, Holy Ghost. Let the fire burn in me as never before. And I thank you, God, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.